Welcome to the Instinct Performance Podcast, where we talk all things performance. This podcast covers various topics such as sports psychology, strength training, speed training, and mental performance. This podcast also shares uncut interviews from Olympic, professional, and high-performance athletes and coaches. Don't just listen to the knowledge and wisdom from this show. Practically apply what you learn from each episode and watch your sports performance skyrocket. Listen up, take notes, take action. Let's get it poppin'. to the Instinct Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah McDonald. I'm extremely excited to welcome Brent Lavalle to the show. Uh, I'm going to give you a bomb introduction before we get into it, Brent, because I, I think the people should understand how, how lucky we are to have you and all the questions we're going to ask you. So Brent has spent the last 10 years coaching at Louisiana State in Shreveport, Louisiana where he led the pilots to four RRAC regular season titles and six RRAC tournament titles. He was named coach of the year in 2017 and 2019, which landed him a much deserved opportunity in professional baseball with the Toronto Blue Jays. He is now the head coach of the Vancouver Canadians, a highly touted minor league baseball team in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. Brent holds a master's degree in exercise science and is going to be a huge blessing for all the listeners today. More important than all these outstanding accomplishments is the incredible man in front of me. He's extremely energizing to talk to and an encyclopedia for baseball and performance knowledge. He is always willing to go the extra mile to help people grow and evolve. Brent, I'm out of breath because that was wild. That was like, half a page of awesomeness so yeah thanks for coming on the show i truly appreciate it and i think the athletes listening will too yeah i'm glad to be here and and, uh excited to talk with you yeah so usually i like to start off with sort of your story uh and we can connect because you grew up playing in the north delta blue jays organization which is where i just spent the last year training with those guys uh and getting to know their new gms and their new system so I think it'd be cool to sort of get your perspective, you know, sort of from maybe grade 10, how you ended up going to college, that story, and then eventually coaching there and then moving on. But uh, yeah, just a quick background on you would be great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so like you said, I grew up in North Delta, British Columbia, um, played for the North Delta Blue Jays, uh, started in the Premier League, which was back then the best high school league in, in BC for sure. And, and one of the top in Canada. And honestly, in 10th grade, I was lucky to even make that team. Um, was not very talented, was not very big or strong. Um, the only thing I had going for me was as a catcher, and you always need catching. So uh, they let me play with them and, and just worked, worked my tail off and learned how to catch, learned how to block, and, and kind of learned those skills as we went. And, uh, and then the arm and the bat followed, and uh, by, you know, middle of, grade 11 started getting some college interest at some local junior colleges down in the NWAC and that's when I kind of really clicked that like man this might be something you can you can do in college initially I was going to go play junior hockey but um, you know in baseball when it comes to college you're guaranteed four years you know um, or as much of a guarantee as you can have with anything so 
you know, when you go to junior hockey, you can get cut at any time and it can be over. So I took the baseball route, uh, chose to get my education, um, had a few colleges contact me and, and was going to go to a junior college in California uh, before LSU Shreveport contacted me. And from the first conversation, that's where I wanted to be. Um, and just lucky that I played in a good program at the Blue Jays, had some great coaches and some great catchers and players ahead of me that, that I really was trying to catch with my career. And, um, you know, that paid off and got to college. I was fully anticipating red shirting year one. You know, I was kind of a skinny, underdeveloped Canadian kid. And I was going down to the States and I get there. And um, after first practice, I was like, man, I, I could be the best. I'm the best catcher here. And I might play. And then that really fueled it. And then you get into the, the college workout system and the college practice routine. And, um, and that's when things really started to take off. And uh, had a great college career. I got to start as a freshman, which was really why I chose to go to that school. And didn't contribute much with the bat. But um, I think I caught 50 games, started 50 games as a freshman. And we lost in a regional championship game. And um, you know, every year was the same. We just kept a tradition of winning and, and development. And it was really fun playing at the school. So had a great four years. Um, actually had a knee surgery, what would have been my true senior year. So I redshirted and came back for a fifth year. Uh, learned a ton in that fourth year, uh, that redshirt year, just sitting back watching, watching the game from a different, you know, different viewpoint and, and seeing the importance of you know, timing for a hitter or, or what playing the game hard looks like from the stands um, and, and really had a nice college career. And when it ended, it was over and, you know, I was okay with that. I, I worked my butt off. I did everything I could and just wasn't good enough. So um, after that, I, I went into coaching and, and haven't turned back yet. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I'm glad you mentioned the knee surgery and sitting out for a year because something similar happened to me with my lower back. And it's, and we'll, I think we're going to get into that later in the show. Just even if you're on the bench or you're injured, there's, there's an insane amount of things you can work on, uh, which actually usually turns out to benefit you in the long run. Yeah. You're missing time, but I'm, I'm sure you came to realize that over time, that was probably a blessing in disguise. 100%. And, and you just notice things when you're not, you know, you're not so close to it. Um, and you, you notice how much you love the game and, and, you know, once you're healthy again, how important doing the small things are. And, um, yeah, so, you know, it was a blessing, like you said, um, at the moment, it was a terrible, horrible, you know, scene having to watch the guys that you played with from freshman year, go out there and compete without you. And, um, I think the best becoming an all American and, and then fueled the fire to not let this guy take take your spot for next year. And uh, you know, competition breeds excellence. So it was it was a cool uh, dynamic to to come back and have to earn your spot back after being a three year starter. But uh, no, you definitely hit it right on the head there. Yeah, and I had a sort of a selfish question here. Did you? When did you realize you? You're like, okay, I want to coach. I'm done playing and I want to get into coaching. Because it's funny, I was like, when I was playing, I was like, there's no way I could coach. There's no chance. And now I'm on the other side of it. And just like seeing guys get better and the impact you have on people's lives is it's pretty special to me. But 
did you always know that or was it sort of when you got out of it as well? No, I knew I always wanted to be a coach or, you know, a high school teacher, coach. Um, that's what I went to college to do was secondary education. Um, and, you know, I, I thought I was going to play professionally until the day my season or career ended and, you know, had a couple independent options and just didn't, didn't want to do that. It didn't work out. I didn't have a work visa, so I couldn't play in the States and um, it was okay. Like just not good enough to go on. And, and some people, you know, you, you got to get used to that and you got to get ready to move on sometimes. And uh, went right into coaching the next year and um, just something I've always wanted to do, like you said, just kind of make an impact and, and help people and, you know, coaches and teachers impact more people in one year than the average human does in their entire life. And that's a pretty powerful little statement there. And so once you hear that and you start helping people and get to coach at my alma mater too. So I, that sometimes when you go to a new program, you have to, you have to acquire, but when, when you already love the program and know what it stands for, it makes it very easy to continue uh, the legacy or the dynasty that you guys have built. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, and I, yeah, I actually, I had a mentor tell me, I think it was the other day cause I was telling him I was just, I was overwhelmed with a bunch of stuff going on in my life at the time. And he goes, instead of trying to make money, try and make an impact, try and impact as many people as you can. And the value will always come running to you. Um, and I, that was when I was like, dang, I like, yeah, I love teaching people. I love coaching people. And at the end of the day, we're, we're two people talking on this podcast, but we could end up helping millions of people with one conversation, which is pretty awesome to me. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. yeah. So most of the listeners, I'd say are age 15 to 21, just sort of preparing for that high performance stage of their life. So I think we're lucky to have you because you went through the college recruiting process as a athlete and then as a coach. So you sort of saw the business side of it and then the playing side of it. So I think if we can sort of talk to these athletes about what to expect and sort of what the coach's perspective is like so that they can understand, Hey, is this school for me or is this a business move or what's the bet? What's what sort of, what helps everyone in this situation? It's, um, the only thing I can give you is my experience and my, my beliefs here. You know, I, when it comes to colleges and, and recruiters, and I think across all sports, when it comes to recruiting in college, it really is program by program. Um, and, and even for myself, I mean, I'm a much different coach now than I was three years ago, um, even last year. So it, it's kind of an ever evolving thing, but, there's the, there's, it's kind of like a, a three pronged kind of approach to recruiting. Um, if I can give any advice there and obviously you've got to be good on the field. Um, you've got to show some tools, you got to show some skills or, or the ability to become a really good player. Um, so that's one. And that's the most, that's the easiest one to see. Um, the student is number, yeah, I don't want to say it's number two, but it's the second pillar there. I mean, you cross yourself off from so many places just because of your grades, your scores on your, you know, your tests, whatever it may be. Um, so the students who don't take the schooling seriously or don't put their all into their, you know, their SATs or their ACTs and um, you're just eliminating 
schools and, and programs from your list before they even start recruiting you. And I think the third prong is just the type of human being you are. Um, nobody wants that guy who, who won't pick up a piece of trash if he walks by it. Or let me rephrase that. I want the guy where if there's, a, if there's an empty water bottle laying on the ground, he's going to pick it up and throw it out, even though it's not his. Um, just the, the character and the integrity to do things like that when no one's looking. Um, so that would be the kind of the three prongs that we would look for. I mean, there's a lot of guys that throw the ball well, but their grades and then what type of person they are are kind of the defining factors of, you know, how much money are we going to give them? How much do we want them? What role are we bringing them in here for? Um, there's some colleges, I mean, that bring in 75 players a year. There's only 10 guys that touch the field at once. I mean, so a little bit of, you know, a real recommendation is do your homework on the programs that, that you're interested in and that are interested in you. Uh, you can learn a lot from just pulling up a team's website and their stats from last year and, and seeing where their players come from. Do they all come from junior colleges or other universities? Do they do, are they hundred percent high school kids that, you know, develop under that program? Um, if you're a pitcher, how many inning, how are the innings shared? You know, is it three starters and one reliever and then the rest of the guys get nothing? Because if you're not ahead of your peers, it's probably not a good spot for you. So um, doing your homework is huge when choosing a school and when schools start showing interest in you, um, just finding out if you're the right fit because recruiters are going to tell you the best parts of their program. They're not, very rarely are they going to tell you the bad parts or the amount of guys that quit every year or leave or get kicked off, things like that. So um, really doing your homework and all that information is out there. Um, with, with the note in social media world, I mean, you can find players on Twitter and find out the things that, that they like. I mean, I always used to like in college, our guys, how much they loved each other and how much they loved our program. And, and that meant that we were doing something right, whether we'd win or lose. Um, how much they loved our program was important. So I kind of got off tangent with your question there, but um, when it comes to the recruiting, you know, we would have certain things that we'd look for and obviously arm strengths one and, you know, and, and the five tools are, are what you look for, but it, it changes every year, but based on your, your personnel, I mean, you don't want 75 players. At least I didn't, I wanted 40 and, um, you know, be really deliberate with what you're doing with each guy instead of just kind of throwing it against the wall and seeing what comes out. So um, just so many things go into it, but like going back to it, I mean, the on the field, in the classroom, and then there's the human being that you are would be the three prongs that I look for and that I ask about when I call your coaches or call the guy who I know that knows you. Um, those are mainly the three questions I'd ask them. Yeah. And it's funny, you'll get two guys with similar talent or one guy might even be a little bit better. Uh, but that one guy with the intangibles over years will always pass that guy with a little bit more talent. Yeah. And you, you never truly know who, who your connections are. Um, so that's where the, the being a good human comes into play because if you only have one reference and I may not know him, but I may, I may know somebody else that knows you. And that's the guy that I'm going to call and reference check on you. And if that's the person that, you know, sees you do things wrong when no one's really looking or, you know, the spotlight's not on you, uh, you know, just another, another thing to cross off the list. So um, it, it boils down to just being a good human being on and off the field and, and doing things the right way in all aspects of your life. Yeah, for sure. 
And I think, I think while we're sort of on this topic, I think if we can just give like a brief painting of what it takes to play at the next level, or whether that's college or professional baseball. Um, and I can relate to you. I remember you saying I wasn't the best. I was skinny, I was small. Uh, and I was the same. I was skinny, small from a town of 5,000 people. Uh, I, and I knew I wanted to play college baseball. I didn't know how. And I, man, I remember, I remember hitchhiking to tryouts one day and I had to sleep in the dugout because I had no way to get there, but I knew all I wanted to do was be on the field. And I remember I, I was doing some homework on you a little bit. I was, I was creeping. Um, and it was just like you taking the extra time to be that Canadian grinder at LSUS and you're out there at night when it's pitch black hitting. And I, like for me, that's what it takes. And yeah, you can't work your way to the big leagues, but it, developing that work ethic is so important for me. And I think, how can we paint that picture for these young guys who don't really understand it? You know, this is what it takes to play at the next level. And you have to sacrifice friendships and life and a lot of things to make it happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sacrifices. I mean, there, there, there's a bunch of them along the way, especially for the high school kid. And, you know, and then even when you get into college, I mean, being a college athlete is not easy and it's not necessarily the most fun thing in the world, but, when you go to work every day or, you know, you go to baseball every day and it's 40 of your best friends and you guys are all in it together, it makes all those sacrifices that you might've made in high school worth it. Um, or when you get married and those guys are standing next to you and they're your best men or the, the godparent of your child, uh, that makes, that makes it all worthwhile. All the sacrifices that you thought you made when you're 18 to make those best friends and those lifelong buddies. Um, you know, I think that, that sometimes we get lost in, in thinking where we want to go, but we're not good at where we are yet. And, you know, um, you know, a scout, a, a college scout or a pro scout is not coming to a field and saying, Hey, who are your top five or six players? They're going to say, who's your best one? Who's your, who's your top two? So a lot of guys talk about the draft, especially in college. A lot of guys talk about the draft, but if you're not the best player on your team by leaps and bounds, it's probably not going to happen. So, you know, get good first and then start talking about the draft. And so, you know, to, to back it up and get to the high school guys, I mean, don't need to worry about your, the, the guys you're playing against. Be, be the best player on your team. Um, focus on being that guy. Outwork the best player and then the good things will happen. Um, one thing we always said to some of our, our upper echelon players was, yeah, you might be the best guy on Friday night, but are you the best guy at practice every day? And just an, another way to push those really talented players was great. You, you just have a lot of talent. You have a lot of skill. You play well. Now for you to play better, you have to practice better. And we want you to be the best player at practice hands down every day. And I think when you take some guys and you kind of shrink their, their focus and you just, you know, you make the, the practice as important as the change the, you know, the external focus, really, if we're going to use that, that term, I mean, I'm going to be the best hitter in my BP group. I'm going to hit the ball harder than the other four guys that I'm hitting with right now. Um, or in infield outfield, if there's three shortstops, I'm going to be the shortstop that makes more plays than anyone else. And I think that's really how you start progressing. Like you, you mentioned, I mean, I was terrible, man. Like I got pinch hit more than I got actual hits in, in first year in college. And um my senior year broke the home run home run record. I set the sack bunt and the home run record in my college career. I mean, that doesn't happen. Uh, 
without some deliberate intent intense work to you know to achieve a goal so um you know for those guys that are wondering why am i not being recruited why am i not being drafted become the best player on your team first and then or the best position you know be the best catcher on your team and then worry about being the best catcher in your league and then the best catcher in canada you know um because you got to start where your feet are and your feet are right here so no need to look elsewhere when when you just need to look at the guys around you and at yourself in the mirror yeah and that to me that's a professional mindset and even for those guys who are already in the professional ranks that that's the intensity they need to take is how can i become the best player on the field today and just break it down into the the here and now because even i get there sometimes too is thinking so long term and excited about the big picture vision that i'll lose track of days and each each day is really all I have to grow into that vision. So I think that's an important point to talk about as well. Yeah, you're right. So I think maybe we'll shift to, you mentioned knee surgery. Uh, actually a couple of kids I'm working, working with right now, one injured his hip, another injured his ankle. Um, can we talk a little bit about how, how can I get better while I'm injured? And I know, I even know guys who, got better faster while injured because they were able to just focus on certain things. Uh, so maybe we can dive into that and maybe what you did while you were dealing with your knee. Yeah. Um, well, you never truly know what you have until it's gone. And, you know, when, when you're a full-time starter and then you got to watch, you realize, you know, how lucky you were to be in the position you were. And you probably worked, you know, in my case, I'd worked for it, but I was very lucky to be a, a starting catcher for three straight years as a, a young kid, especially, um, you know, on the hitting aspect, hitting is, it's kind of funny. You take a year off and you become a better hitter. Um, but watching baseball games, I mean, sitting, sitting on the couch with your knee in a brace, taking live at bats off of big league pitchers in spring training. I can still remember doing that. And, um, I remember just, just seeing everything. I remember seeing hitters on our team, not be on time in fastball counts and it just really clicked with me. Like it doesn't matter if you think a fastball's coming, you got to know and believe it. So really the approach is what changed the most for me. Um, you know, cause you can know a break is coming, but if you change your timing or, or, or have it in your head that you have to change something, um, for me, that, that injury year, that red shirt year was huge learning timing. Um, my, my own internal hitting timing, and then taking at bats against big league pitchers on TV, as silly as it sounds, um, it was my way to get reps in while the guys were on the field. And, you know, there's kids all around the world in, in lesser countries than Canada, the United States that, that don't have as much and, and do a lot more than some of these kids. So um, I hung a little, or had my roommate do it actually, hang a little wiffle golf ball from the ceiling on a piece of fishing wire and I'd just do some one-hand drills while they're out on road trips, and I'm sitting there banging a, a wiffle ball hanging from the roof off the, the dorm apartment. And, um, you know, so just it's, it's got to be deliberate. It's got to be focused. you got to have a goal in mind. But an injury is not a setback. It's a chance to get better. It's a chance to look at it from that 10,000, you know, foot view and, um, and just see things at a different, different lens, I guess. Yeah. A hundred percent. 
I'm so glad I get to hear that coming from you because I used to spend just hours in college in my room just watching hitting videos and and the the best in the world do it and all my teammates would be like dude you're like what are you doing man you're a weirdo and I'm like it's free at bats get it get them while you can so I always tell these kids I say hey you don't have to listen to a thing I say but you should watch what the best in the world do and you should try and mimic and develop a process that works for you um which is what you did and i think maybe we could talk a little baseball on that topic and timing because maybe i can learn something here too how did how did that help your timing and like what's something that you use or an internal cue you use yeah um it it's it's really one of those things where it really clicked for me and i don't know if all all programs do i know a lot of college programs you steal signs or you pick up you pick up when a pitcher's tipping signs. I mean, I think in Major League Baseball, we saw that all happen last year uh, or in the past years, and we're not going to name any names. But um, when you know what's coming, hitting is very easy. Now, you can also tell yourself you know what's coming and not be afraid to miss. So really really what clicked for me, especially in that year when, when I wasn't playing, was um, sitting in the stands and hearing the verbal – sign to our hitters telling them what was coming and them still being fooled like I was in the bleachers knowing that a breaking ball is about to be thrown and the hitter still sticks his butt out he's early and he swings at a ball in the dirt and and that's when I found out there's a difference between knowing a breaking ball is coming and believing that it's coming and you know there's there's just a, there's a difference between knowing something and 100% believing in it and ended up in, it, ended up being a belief of mine that I would pick which count or which pitch I wanted to hit just by count. And I'd have a timing, a start time or a, like a loading mechanism, whatever, you know, everyone's swing is different, but uh, I would have a point in, in the pitcher's delivery that if he was throwing a fastball, I'd start my, my moves. And if I was sitting on a breaking ball, I would wait just a little bit longer. So um, if a guy's throwing 95, the second he breaks his hands, that's when I start my, my toe tap and my move to the ball. If he's throwing 90, I'm not going to start at that same point. I'm going to wait till you kind of get till I can see the ball in his hand with the 90 degree kind of elbow right there. And if he's throwing slow, I'm waiting until release to even start my first move. Um, now, if I'm sitting on a breaking ball, I'm the same thing. I'm just waiting longer and longer and longer. And, um, you know, hitting is guessing. And if you guess right and you take an A swing, um, and you've trained your swing and you've lifted and, and trained your body, you're going to hit the ball a long way. Um, or you're going to hit it far hard or on a line or, or wherever. So for me, it really ended up being just finding a way to get on time and getting on time meant believing in one pitch and forgetting about the rest. And now with two strikes, we go into battle mode and we, we do what we got to do with two strikes, but I had two strikes to guess right. And once you find out that you're on time, the zones, I found that the zones I was hitting didn't really matter. As long as I got the pitch I was seeking or pitch I was hunting, which is a common term, it didn't matter if that was a little bit up and out of my, my happy zone, I would still be on time and be able to hit that ball well. Um, or the breaking ball that's a little bit down, I would still be sold out to it, be on time, and I'd still you know, take a good swing just because I knew it was coming and you could get it. Uh, you punish it. So I kind of refer it a lot to like a sprinter waiting for the gun, um, waiting for that start point. I mean, he's not, 
going to react after the, the shot. He's waiting for it. He's waiting for it. And once he hears it, he's already nearly gone in his mind. So um, really the biggest thing is the difference between knowing a pitch is coming and believing a pitch is coming. So you see hitters all, all, the, all the time in batting practice, young kids in college or high school getting blown up by the same pitch every single, every single day. They know I'm throwing fastballs to them. But they just don't believe it. Um, so just getting that that point across to guys, like it, it, like you know it's coming, and look what happens in the big leagues when they know it's coming. They win World <laughs> Series and all that. So uh, you know, or, or they're not hitting too well this year. They don't know what's coming. Uh, the Houston Astros, but who's no one said anything. <laughs> um, that, that's uh, that's so funny because I was getting so frustrated watching. Uh, watching these high school kids this past weekend. And it was, yeah, you know, a fastball's coming, 2-0 fastball's coming, and we're still missing it. And I think the biggest thing is, like me listening to you talk, is you weren't rigid. So every pitcher, you had to figure out a different timing mechanism to smash that guy. It's right. not, oh, I'm going to load when the pitcher breaks his hands, which is also something I hear a ton. It's, no, I have to develop the self-awareness to understand that each pitcher's different. I'm a different hitter. I, you know, is this guy a sinker baller? Is he a straight fastball guy? And those, I think all those little tangibles are things you have to think about before you go up to the plate, which is why it's not just go up and hit a ball in baseball. It's so mental. Yeah. I, I think in between innings when the pitcher is doing his warmups and he's showing you what's coming, it's a great time for a hitter to find his timing. Um, basically the pitcher is telling you, Hey man, Get your timing off of, of how I throw because the pitcher is going to keep the same cadence. He's going to keep the same tempo and delivery. Uh, only thing that's going to happen is he's just going to spin it a little different. So um, I would on deck or in the warm up phase, even if I wasn't on deck, would be a huge time to find my start point. Um, and then the start point changes sometimes if a pitcher goes out of the windup or out of the stretch. You know, sometimes they're a little bit quicker out of the stretch and, um, you know, you have to adjust your timing to that so it's uh, I think that's why you see hitters take a lot of pitches uh, the higher in levels you go is because I, I really truly think they're they're finding their start point um, but it, it's a tough thing to grasp but really once you once you understand timing and, and your own timing it makes hitting a lot easier yeah for sure and so I got just a couple more questions and we'll shift to mindset and then I'll let you go um, and of course I'm thankful for you taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on here um, and I think one thing is also how to motivate players as a coach, but how, like, how do you guide your players to peak performance? Cause, and I've played with a lot of guys and they just sort of don't mesh with the coach or don't mesh with the culture and they're talented, but you never get to see that, or they're just so self-conscious that you don't let to, you don't get to see the talent shine through. So what did you do, uh, on your end at LSUS? We, I think the answer is we made them fail and we made them okay with failing and we made the players understand that we were okay with them, with them failing in practice. If you're not failing in practice, it's too easy. Um, and I think that's why you see professional teams with high velocity machines out in batting practice now are doing things that, that challenge the players more and more every day. Um, so if you're not failing, you're not getting better. And, I think that's one thing offensively that we really did a good job of is we challenged the mess out of them 
every day was a challenge. Every day was hard. And then on a game day when you get, you know, kind of standard BP, they love it and they eat it up. And then, you know, they're, it's just, you're creating that culture of like nothing that this pitcher can throw at us is any better than what we see every day in practice. And, um, you know, baseball is a game of failure, but people don't train that. They don't train their players to fail. They train them, you know, and just speaking in generality, but they train their players to look good and to feel good. And then what happens when that nasty Friday night guy shows up and, and every, you know, your tails are between your legs and you're getting it, you know, he's shoving on you and no one's failed before. You're three holes over for two and, you know, he, you know he's not going one for three because he's his, his day is over because um, he's just not used to failing. So everything we do, it, it would be a challenge. It would be tough. It would be we're changing the constraints. We're changing the, the angle of the machine, the, you know, the weighted bats, whatever it was. We just always put, put them in a position where they could fail but then never would criticize or like highlight the fact that you just swung a miss at the machine five times in a row, get out of the cage. No, keep hitting until you hit that thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it was just one of those things where that culture grew. And I think that breeds some resiliency as well among your team when, you know, you may be struggling your first few rounds on this one machine or this one, you know, BP routine, but, stick with it just like that fifth at bat you may be 0 for four heading to the ninth and a three-run bomb wins it you know and, and you're a hero uh but you failed the first four times so i attribute a lot of our success to how much we encourage these guys to fail every single day yeah and the same thing in the weight too like like you don't want to lift weight that you can lift all the time like you have to lift to failure at some points not yeah. all the time obviously you're the you're around that but there is, there is the time to fail in the weight room too with the correct technique and, you know, all the, all the things that need to be done. But we, we would always say in the weight room, if we can't hear it, if you're completing every one of your lifts and that weight isn't hitting the ground off your back, you're not pushing yourself enough during your, your three rep max or your one rep max weeks. Okay. And um, yeah, so failure is a huge part of the game and, and not a lot of people like it or train it. Yeah. And it, we were talking about Carol Dweck's book mindset at BLE and how it's just, and you mentioned this even earlier. You said, I don't really, I don't really lose. I just learn from each scenario. And you know, if I get injured, well, I'll win another way and turn this injury into a, a win. And I think over the long run, that makes you an unstoppable human being on the field and also off the field. It's understanding like, and I think this is like my eighth podcast episode and I'm still new to it. And I think it's fun because each time I do it, I get a little bit better. And I think everything in life sort of has to be that way, or you're going to be a miserable guy by the time you're old. No, you're, you're hundred percent correct. 100%. Um, no, just the mindset is mindset's huge and, and the resiliency you show is, is terrific. So no, you're right on there. Yeah. Okay. Last one. Let's uh, let's talk about what you do and maybe your ability to drive, to keep your motivation and drive through adversity. So right now, obviously, the Blue Jays and the Canadians season got canceled. Things are up in there with minor league baseball. Um, what do what do you do to prepare and just understand that things aren't going to go exactly the way we thought it was going to go? And 
how do you just keep your head up and keep working hard just in case? Because the opportunity is going to find you. It has to. Right. Um, you know, I think especially during this, you know, the COVID shutdown, I think people showed me some pity, you know, because I was supposed to manage my hometown team. And, you know, it, yeah, it was terrible getting canceled. But in the big picture, I can coach the rest of my life. These players, they're the ones who we need to, you know, we need to feel bad for. They, there's going to be careers and there's high school kids whose careers ended and college players and, and professionals who they played their last game and they didn't know. Um, you know, and, and there's coaches who might have managed or coached their last games and they didn't know. Um, so for me, it wasn't, it wasn't very hard. Um, you know, there's people that are going through some terrible things right now, um, health related, job related, whatever it may be. So putting in perspective, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a game. And it, even though it is my livelihood and, and my career, it, it is a game. So, um, but I mean, same things you're doing is what I filled my time with it, reading, learning, talking to people, um, you know, the old saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to find a different room. Mm-hmm. Um, like surrounding yourself with people that are smarter and have more experience and, and think differently than you. So I, I mean, tried to listen to as many podcasts and zoom calls and any informative chance you can, or any chance you can get to take in information is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading books. I was never a big book reader. Um, you know, in college, I read the books I was asked or told to read and, and very few others. And then, um, you start talking to people in professional sports and they tell you about a book like mindset and then you read that one and then it leads you to something else and leads you to something else. And, you know, next thing you know, you've banged out 15, 15 books in a year. And, you know, uh, I know one thing that I do is I, I keep notes and highlight things and put them into like note form after I read the book and go back and reread my notes as much as I can, because it's impossible to retain all that information. Um, I think it just goes back to wanting to be a lifelong learner and understanding that there's people out there that know so much more than we know. And I'm not doing the players I coach a service if I'm not continuing to get better. So that's where the motivation and drive to take, you know, take this COVID shutdown time is something to improve myself. So then I can help improve the players that I coach. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I think that's a perfect place to leave it right there. Um, first of all, thank you for coming on the show and congratulations on everything, all your accomplishments this year. And this ain't the end. I'm a, we're going to stay in touch, I hope over the future. And yeah, I'm so thankful that you came on. Oh, very happy. Very happy. Are you an athlete trying to take your sports career to the next level? Are you trying to secure your spot on an all-star team, college roster, professional roster, or Olympic roster? Are you an athlete who is highly motivated and works hard in the gym and on the field but aren't seeing the results you deserve? That's where I come in. I'm a sports performance specialist and I help athletes separate themselves from their competition through precise, detailed, and meticulous strength training programs. I help you develop the speed, power, strength, and athleticism it takes to stand out and separate yourself from your competition. If this is something you're interested in, head over to my website, instinctperformance.ca, and fill out the online coaching application form, and we will schedule a free consultation to see if you're a good fit. 
what this looks like. If you get accepted, you'll receive a detailed movement assessment where you, we test your deficiencies and determine what your strengths and weaknesses are. Number two, you'll have access to an app that I use that outlines the exact exercises, sets, reps, and rest intervals. This app gives you full video breakdown of each movement so you know exactly how to do it. If this is something you're interested in, head over to our website, instinctperformance.ca. Hit us up on social media. Instagram is ip.performance and Facebook is instinctperformance. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Isaiah out.